and welcome to the Deep Turn Bear Podcast. My name's Sean, and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boff, my man. How are we? Good, Sean. I'm very good. How are you? I'm good. I'm a little bit cold, but nevertheless, still good. That's why we've got the heater on. That's why we put the heater on. So hopefully you can't hear it through the through the mic, which would be, be a bit of a bummer. But Dante, let's get right into it with... Uh, we spoke on Thursday about the NBA's proposed bubble, which uh, was eventually voted on by the Board of Governors and was passed successfully on a 29-1 to 1 vote. And Shams Trani are reporting that the one team that voted against this proposed bubble solution was the Portland Trailblazers. Um, why did they vote no? <laughs> well, we talked about last week as well, Damian Lillard being very vocal that he didn't want to come back and play in a format that wouldn't give the Blazers a really good chance to make the playoffs. So mm. um, obviously you would feel like their best player being so vocal about that would have some sort of impact on what the organisation would would choose to do for what they view their best interest to be. But um, Chris Haynes was reporting, um, Chris Haynes from Yahoo was reporting that they actually preferred a 20-team return to play rather than the 22, which would mean that there'd be less regular season games to play. Mm -hmm. And it would mean that Washington and Phoenix both wouldn't be there. Uh, Which, you know what, it's fair enough because those are the two teams that realistically don't really have a shot to get into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, but there was also... Something on Twitter from CJ McCollum. Um, yeah, do you want me to read out the tweet? If yeah, yeah, if you've got it. So he replied to that Chris Haynes report that Portland preferred a 20-team format, and CJ tweeted, quote, We play for an ownership group that actually listens to its players and has a backbone. We voiced that what we felt was the best option, and they followed our lead. I commend our front office and Jody Allen, unquote. So it sounds like they are talking... They are putting themselves on a pedestal saying we are you know on the right side of history doing the best thing that's right for everyone but I don't know if not having Phoenix and Washington play basketball is what's best for everyone because let's say Phoenix's season did end it's like you'd be like that's a bummer but you know you and I because we get to see a fully healthy Phoenix team that's you know it's not not fun that we get to see another team play even though they might be fodder for the rest of the you know the elite teams in the world but you know seeing more basketball and another team is good yeah, I agree. Uh, it's important, I think, to note that it's not just the Blazers who uh, were thinking that a 20-team format would be the best way to return to play. Uh, Zach Lowe on his podcast with Kevin Pelton was saying that he felt that bringing Washington and Phoenix there was a bit of a farce and there was no real reason for them to be there because, you know, like you say, they're just going to be fodder. Mm. And he was approaching it more from a kind of public safety and health perspective where how many extra people does that bring into the bubble that realistically they don't need to be there mm-hmm. between families and um, yeah. trainers, staff, players, everything. Um, there's going to be a lot more people because Washington and Phoenix are there just to be, you know, that frontline fodder just to get chewed up. And he also raised a really interesting point um, with regards to how the NBA is going to set the lottery odds. Mm. because currently obviously the eight teams that weren't invited will be in the lottery and they'll have their potentially have their lottery odds you know like set but Mm. the six teams that um, are invited that will end up being in the lottery um, they'll be the teams that don't make it so likely including Phoenix Washington and then some combination of Sacramento um, New Orleans Memphis or San Antonio some combination of those teams Mm. Um, if for example, Phoenix gets off to a one and four start, then maybe Phoenix's tanks. 
And all of a sudden we've played eight extra games than, say, you know, like Cleveland. Mm. And because we've gone one and eight, one and seven over our last eight, our winning percentage just plummets. Could the could the Suns then like increase their lottery odds and jump all the way up to like third or fourth in the lottery odds? Um, which then kind of you know fades back in. Well, if there's a risk that a team's going to do that, why are they here? Yeah. You know why is there a team? Why is there the possibility that one team's rocked up to a just be fodder because they're not good, but b they might not even try. Mm. So. It's an interesting um, conundrum that I don't know that the league has a easy answer for. I think with Washington and Phoenix, I can't I can't speak for them, but I'm going to assume that they're going to try hard because they've been invited to this group of players and group group of teams that are the best teams in the league. What really interests me because I don't really care if Phoenix gets another top five pick because he's going to draft the next Josh Jackson Dragon Bender. What really interests me is. If Brooklyn, um, and I mean, we can just touch on this now, but according to Mark Spears of the Undefeated, KD has, quote, my season is over. He has ruled himself out for the bubble. So if Brooklyn are going into this this sort of bubble and they, what if they tank themselves and they rest Kyrie Irving and just, you know, unluckily don't play well with a coach that has played, well, how many games did he actually coach? One or two games. Mm. So what if Brooklyn are the ones that tank maybe flip-flop somewhere and fall out of the playoffs, Washington takes their spot in some order. And then because the lottery odds are flattened, we've seen what happened with Memphis and New Orleans last year, how they can jump right up. Mm. What if we see some crazy situation where um, Brooklyn, instead of going into this offseason looking for a third star with Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie, they go into this offseason with those two players and a top-five pick? Yeah, well, I mean, that would be... Like in terms of adding to their arsenal, crazy because you can't imagine that they would make that pick if they had it. That would be like the classic same conversation that we've been having last week with the Warriors. Like mm. they're going to get that high pick and they might trade it, but it would completely throw everything. Like it would throw everything out of whack, mm. you know, for a team that is invited to the bubble to compete to then end up, you know, like not competing and mm. then getting you know some form of material benefit from from not competing and also an advantage that the other teams that are already eliminated don't have yeah well exactly the opportunity to lose more games <laughs> i think if i was going to um if i was going to make a prediction i would say that i think it's unlikely that the um the suns would uh tank because i'll put it gently phoenix has a lot of like reputation rehabilitation to do around the league mm-hmm. and having a guy who's really well connected and respected like Monty Williams and a general manager like James Jones who maybe he's not super accomplished but James Jones is well respected yeah. obviously like won all of those championships um, with LeBron in Cleveland and Miami so he's got his gave, fin- gave him Tyson Chandler when he <laughs> <laughs> so as a player his fingerprints are you know all over like the last 10-15 years of the league um, so that's a good place to start on the quest for respectability and whether it comes from the top down or not, I think that both of those guys know that there's a bit of image rehabilitation that needs to be done. So if they were to rock up and then decide, actually, we're not going to compete, like mm. everybody else in the bubble would probably probably think pretty poorly of that decision. The flip side of what you've been talking about, though, is that I don't think Jacques Vaughan, the interim coach for the Nets, needs to worry about that. Mm. You know, He's not going to be there. And if ownership comes down and says, hey, sneaky, just like 
lose some yeah. games. Like Kyrie's not feeling really, really good today. Play DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, play DeAndre <laughs> Jordan. Jared Allen's got a cold. Then, you know, there's no reason why he would or wouldn't. Like, he's got nothing to lose and nothing to gain. So he's effectively just like a proxy for whatever direction the front office and ownership wants to take. And if they do decide that, um, then... You know, um, it would be interesting to see. The other interesting thing, you know, talking about the Nets is what happens if the Celtics manage to get past the Raptors up to number two and the Nets stay in at seven where they are and then we get a Kyrie and the Nets versus the Celtics first round series. Mm. That would be fun. Well, that would be fun, but sadly it wouldn't be in Boston, which would probably be the most fun aspect of yeah. it, where you would have Kyrie getting booed every single time he touched the ball. And yeah. it, would, it would be a fun series as well because you've got this this young team uh, going, which is better than the older team, but the older team has a lot of guys that are not as good as the young guys. So it's like, I, I would love to see that. Um, sadly, not in Boston, though. They would slam him on every pick. <laughs> they would just hit him <coughs> so hard. Yeah, the old Vincent Poirier screens. Yeah. <laughs> um, just final question on this 20-team format. If you're Memphis, would you prefer it to be 20-team or 22-team? Well, I don't know whether the 20 team format included a plane. Because if I was Memphis. I think it would. If I was Memphis, I would want there to be. 22. N- no plane. I'd rather, you know. You, Let's you say plane is on the tables for both. Well, I mean, probably, probably 20, 20 teams. But, I mean, Memphis is one of the teams that that affects the least. Because, n- n- you know, in the West, like, the Suns aren't going to catch them. Mm. So if they get to play the Suns, then in reality, that's just like a, a cupcake on their schedule. That mm. maybe if the Suns weren't there, they'd have to play that extra game against, say, the Blazers, which is, you know, obviously a much tougher game and has much more relevance to the standing. So mm. they might view it as like, yeah, cool, we get more opportunity and we're, we're healthy now. So they you know, might relish the opportunity. But I mean, I, yeah, I don't think that they're one of the teams that it kind of, it, it really affects. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to one of my favorite points of points of news with this week, which is still still on the bubble, but according to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, the ousted teams are considering having joint workouts and making sort of a bubble for themselves. So those bottom eight teams being, you know, the Atlantas of the world. Um, and these bottom teams are worried that they're going to miss out on a lot of late season development for the young players. Like, you know, the the last month of the season is where you usually see the token Darius Garland, like 16 and nine games. And it's like, that's what Cleveland fans are going to be watching for the next six months until they can actually watch their team play basketball again, which is, you know, it doesn't mean much. And like, no one's really tuning in to see Darius Garland start against like the, the second unit of Atlanta because Trey Young is resting for no reason. So... It would be, it is quite a bummer, um, and it is essentially just stat padding. But I think also what was what was said in this report is that some of these some of these games would be televised. So if they do have a mini a mini little season, wherever that may be, um, watching televised games, which I'm describing as glorified summer league games, because mm. you're going to have all the second stringers and all the Darius Garlands and all the rookies and young players of the world, but you're going to pretty much chop off all the summer league all stars. You know, like the Who's the guy who played for Brooklyn Summer League last season? And he's had a cup of tea with you. He's from Kentucky, Archie Goodwin. Yeah, so the all-time leading, <laughs> the all-time leading scorer you in Summer League history. The, the Archie Goodwins of the world. It'll just be the cream of the crop, for want of a better word. Yeah. Uh, would you tune into this? It depends when it is, because I actually really like the idea. Because you know, I kind of do love seeing those the Darius Garland of the world tally up, you know, like those mean, meaningless games that like give you a glimpse of what could be. 
and then getting excited about that. Mainly because for the last 10 years of my NBA <laughs> life, I've had to subsist on those games being the most important ones. Like that season when um, Devin Booker stepped into the starting lineup and with, with like 20 games to go and average like 20 for the rest of the season, everyone was like, wait a second, we might have something here. Like that's, oh, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. If these games were televised in any form within the time period that the bubble is going ahead then absolutely no way like there's no possible chance because it would be the equivalent of playing summer league games during the playoffs the season, yeah. which I mean you know come on I'm not, yeah, you're not going to watch it the thing the thing that would, I think is interesting about this is that the um, all the teams who are going into the bubble will get the opportunity to satisfy their local TV rights deals, mm-hmm. which means that they'll get paid out like hundreds of millions of dollars that would otherwise have been withheld. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the eight teams that are going won't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, if this bubble goes ahead, it could potentially be an opportunity for them to kind of recoup some of that money by televising it. Whether or not the networks would say this counts as game is completely different. Um, but it, it might be an opportunity not only to you know to get a bit of player development in there, which because it would be pretty devastating for someone like Garland, for example, who's a rookie. If the season starts in December, as it's the next season starts in December, he'll have gone nine months without playing proper mm-hmm. basketball, mm-hmm. which is you know for a twenty-year-old that's kind of devastating for your development. That's especially when he had already missed that that much time with an injury. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, he only played he only played forty-ish games, so. Um, I think it would be a good opportunity for the teams, and especially if they could get that that money recouped, then mm. obviously that's a pretty attractive prospect. Yeah, I just the one question I have is obviously my Golden State Warriors are in this bottom echelon, like does Steph Curry play? Because one of the things I wanted to see if the season was to continue is how does the the new guys and Andrew Wiggins and Eric Pascal and everyone play next to Steph Curry? Because I've seen them play with Kai. Sky Bowman but you know that's not really a great sample when you can of what they're going to be next season so does someone like Steph Curry bother to play in glorified summer league Um, and it's probably actually not the most useful but it's definitely useful information to see these guys that you want to get more information on playing alongside Steph Curry so well 100% I mean if you can if you can get them on the same court and figure out that Wiggins knows exactly how to spot up off of a Steph you know, high pick and roll, then mm. then that's useful information for your off season planning and your game planning. Yeah. Um, I think I think that you would see Steph play. I don't think you would see Clay play. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but you would see Steph play as long as it was kind of like you know, nod, no wink, wink, nod, nod. That it's going to be pretty low level of intensity. Yeah, yeah. If it was going to be anything approaching game level intensity or anything greater than what they would see when they scrimmage in training they would probably just say like, look, it would be great for us to figure out if Marquise Chris knows how to set a screen for, for Steph. Mm-hmm. But the, the risk the risk outweighs the reward mm-hmm. by quite a lot. Because mm-hmm. the, you know, the risk being that you don't have him next season, the reward being that you figure out how some role player works. When in reality, you know, they'll have, what, like yeah. November, December to figure that out. Yeah, so. if the season does go ahead in that, in that form. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one more point on that, just to see Clint Capella with Trey Young and you know other other teams like that. Dante, can you read this next news? Because I don't know if I can bring myself to say it. Every, um, every time over the last few weeks that we've talked about the Knicks, you've said something and I've been like, 
No, 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 but I don't think even the Knicks would do that. And then you have come up with the familiar retort. Don't underestimate how stupid the Knicks can be. So there's news coming out um, that Mike Woodson, who you may remember from being the last Knicks coach to coach them into the playoffs in 2013, <laughs> is also being considered for the top job in New York alongside um, Tom Thibodeau. Um, with the, the idea that they're both going to go for the top job, but that Woodson would be happy being an assistant, a la Jason Kidd um, in... Frank Vogel. Yeah, Jason Kidd and Frank Vogel in LA. Um, this is just bizarre, <laughs> because in talking about a guy who has a good defensive reputation, has at times struggled to coach offense, and has kind of feels a bit stale and a bit old, Tom Thibodeau, Carbon copy in Mike Woodson. An absolute carbon copy. The dude hasn't coached um, since 2013 when he when he um, coached the Knicks. So, <laughs> I mean, wasn't going on for seven years. His career win-loss is 315 and 365. And he's been out of the league for seven years. What is the... What are you gaining? What is the sense in reviving this experiment? You know? Well... The only grasp of goodwill I can think of this is that Mike Woodson was seen as a scapegoat for why that team didn't succeed after they, as as this article says over and over again, it's from Ian Begley, just that, oh, you know, he coached the last uh, playoff team. He coached the last playoff team. And it's like, calm down. like Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just that Mike Woodson was more of a scapegoat for this, for why this Knicks team failed, and people knew almost immediately after he was failed that it wasn't the coach's fault. It's that Mallow was playing an old style of basketball, and the team around him wasn't very good. Uh, we don't need to go into why the Knicks are bad, but <laughs> Mike Woodson was a scapegoat, and now he's going to get brought back. So I don't want to call him a bad coach because he might have been ousted wrongly, but he could have been ousted correctly and it was just a bad situation altogether. Well, if he was a good coach, good coaches who were the victim of front office finagling (coughs) or organisational mismanagement, like you could make the argument Woodson was, don't spend seven years either not coaching or on on the benches. Yeah, we haven't heard anything. It never never happens. and a, you know, like a, a current example would be, um, it's very possible that Mike D'Antoni gets fired in the coming off season, not because he's a bad coach or because the Rockets have underachieved. I mean, they've won fifty plus games for like eight straight years. Mm. Um, yeah, for if he gets if he gets fired, it'd be because it comes from ownership doesn't like him. And, Tillman Dirty Fingers. Yeah, Tillman Dirty Fingers Petita doesn't like him and wants him out. And there's been such a unstable situation organisationally there. If Mike D'Antoni, who is definitively a good coach, say what you will about his mm. um, coaching style, his ability to coach defense, whatever, he's a good coach. If he becomes available, he'll be snapped up. Mm. Maybe he'll do what someone like Tibbs does, who Tibbs is still clearly regarded regarded well. He'll you know go do a bit of a sabbatical for a year and then come back looking for a job. Seven years, you never hear about it. It never happens. So why on earth there? Pulling out the shovels to dig up Mike Woodson's corpse, I do not know. Look, I I pride myself in sometimes having a greater understanding of the news and trying to figure out the the angles. My crowning achievement being the Nets trying to wrangle Bradley Beal free that I said a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, but I have no idea why this is. And what confuses me even more is that 
in this article, Ian Begley writes that Kenny Atkinson is also a candidate for the Knicks. Kenny Atkinson, who fits the bill of what you were just saying, with mm-hmm. the coach, he wasn't fired because of his inability. He was fired because of reasons outside of his ability. I feel like if I was writing this article, and there probably are different motives in the article, but I would lead with Kenny Atkinson being a potential candidate because he's a guy that you look at who built up this young, pretty much crappy Nets team into a playoff team and then obviously signed the guys they did because they were seen as a good up-and-coming team. You would want that guy as your coach, not this old guy who, as you said, seven years not coaching. It's... It doesn't make any sense. It's stupefying. It really is stupefying. Ladies and gentlemen, the New York News. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to another piece of news, which is the Kings announcer Grant Napier has been fired last week after an All Lives Matter tweet, according to Jason Jones off The Athletic and various other people, and just off Twitter. And this started when Marcus Cousins literally out of nowhere tweeted at Grant Napier. For those of you who don't know the name he's the guy that says if you don't like that you don't like NBA basketball if you don't like that you don't like NBA basketball so Demarcus Cousins said he he added Grant Napier and said what are your thoughts on the BLM movement mm. and it was like fishing mm. like because uh, yeah it was quite clearly trying to instigate something. which we now know after the fact that a lot of players have come out against Grant Napier which is something I mean, I, I hardly follow the guy, but I, I didn't know that he was what he has been portrayed as through his own doing. Mm. Um, and he pretty much just replied to... Um, he replied to Demarcus Cousins with a few words and some of those words being all lives matter. And then he was eventually stood down slash uh, retired slash fired, depending on where you read. There's different variations of it, but he was... He no longer has a job because of what he said. And... He, since then, has kept the tweet up there. He hasn't removed it or deleted it or altered it mm. um, and claimed ignorance to the fact that All Lives Matter is actually somewhat of a anti-Black Lives Matter slogan. He thought it was just a happy, nice little three words, which is either extremely ignorant... Which he happened to capitalise <laughs> out of every single <laughs> other word in there. He happened to capitalise All Lives Matter and then followed up with every single one. Um and also just it's either he's extremely ignorant or he is actually what everyone is accusing him of being um one thing that sort of got brought up amongst all this is that during the the donald sterling saga he was coming to donald sterling's aid saying how can he be racist if he works in a business that is whatever the number 70 80 percent black so it's like this this has happened before and the kings are while may, they may not be progressive on court, they are very progressive off court and they've actually been very hashtag work. Um, yeah. So good thing that he's gone, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, and after, you know, clearly, um, DeMarcus knew what response he was going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why he was asking it. Uh, and he actually replied to the two um, Grant and Apius tweet saying, lol, as expected. Uh, and in the aftermath, um, heaps of people affiliated with the Kings um, as current and past players came out and said, yeah, like, this dude is actually um, pretty fucked. Um, and there were reports coming out that a lot of the players and like staff of the team have known for a long time that mm-hmm. um, the term that they used was closet racist. So um, somebody who works in a black-dominated industry and has done for the last black... You know, he's been he's been the king. I don't know how long he was. He's since been nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, since nineteen eighty eight. So thirty two years. So he spent over half of his life working 
Um, in this industry, he definitely knows that All Lives Matter is not some like, oh, like just a little throwaway line, that it is definitely a direct um, antagonistic response to um, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, which obviously you've, you've, you've been seeing NBA players um, protesting and getting behind the movement um, all across the country. So it um, is talking about something stupefying. It's not only the Knicks that can stupefy that. Like, why you would um, why you would say that? I mean, even if that was your view, why you would say it now is just just beyond me. So anyway, good riddance, Grant Napier. Um, maybe the Kings will get some half-decent commentators now because he was actually terrible. He's so annoying. Every time I'm watching a Kings game, I'm listening to the away broadcast. It's really hard to watch Willie Cauley-Stein throw down an average dunk and then have someone tell me, if I don't like that, I don't like NBA basketball. Yeah. I was like, well, I don't hate it, but come on, man. Like, this yeah, I'm not that into it. This isn't Vince Carter 2000 dunk contest. What a segue. It's a good segue. Um, this isn't reported by anyone, but it pretty much means that now that the Atlanta Hawks are eliminated from the NBA, essentially, they're, they don't, they're not invited to the bubble. Vince Carter's career is officially over. So... Um, we saw at the end the the very last game before the coronavirus halt in play that Vince Carter was very emotional on the podium saying that sadly this this isn't the way that he wanted to finish his career but he has pretty much finished his career and yeah that is a a great player who is very fun on YouTube he um he made his last shot as he was reminding people uh, back in March when he found out that the season might be suspended or well, that was suspended and it might end and um, that that would probably mean his career's over so he made it assisted by Trey Young on a three so congrats to him he's an interesting an interesting guy because looking um, a few a few weeks ago it was probably about six weeks ago now um, the ringer was in the middle of doing their redraftables series where they go back through you know, I think they started in 96 and went all the way through 2003 and now they've picked up again um, Vince Carter was the fifth overall pick in the 98 draft uh-huh. one rookie of the year um, and I can't remember maybe it was Zach Lowe was on the pod um, and there was a conversation being um, being like people like a lot of people who have only kind of come to the NBA in the last 10 years don't know how good Vince Carter was because obviously he was like one of the peak scorers um, during his sort of first 10 years in the league and then obviously someone like yourself and myself we know him more from kind of his his roles with the magic and the mavs and the grizzlies where he was like that you know spot up shooter role player veteran mentor kind of guy mm-hmm. so i went back through and had a look at his stats and i think he like he's definitely a hall of famer he was an eight-time um an eight-time all-star two-time all-nba his best season was his third season when he averaged 27 with four assists and six rebounds um Looking back through his numbers, efficiency-wise, he's going to be one of these guys who we come back to him and say, actually, not super good. Not necessarily super good. Um, How so? His effective um, field goal percentage for his career is um, 48, which is quite low. He only shot 46% on two-pointers in his career and 43% um, from the field. Obviously, he played through that stretch in... um, in in the two thousands when it was a bit of a brick fest and you know teams are winning teams are winning games like you know seventy one to seventy eight and offensive efficiency was hard to come by um, even for the best players I mean you go back and look at Kobe's offensive lack of efficiency numbers um, throughout all of those all of those seasons um, 
even the seasons when he was considered, you know, one of the best players in the league, um, and and they'll smack you in the face. But um, bit of potential here, I think, when there's the Vince Carter career retrospective. Um, that digging in on the numbers will will tell one story, but you know everyone who watched him in his in his prime will will tell another story because obviously mm-hmm. he left a superimposed fingerprints all over the league with you know the two thousand dunk contest and mm. um, also the the documentary that came out I think two years ago on just his his influence on Toronto and Canadian, yeah. Canadian basketball. So maybe maybe his impact is more cultural than actual being a great scorer uh, well you know not everyone can put up 27 points a game in a season but uh, yeah interesting um, yeah I just think he's going to be one of these people where um, when people who watched him in the moment go back and look at some of the kind of like digging on some of the numbers a bit more that it's a bit surprising You're like oh like I thought he would have been better than that <laughs> but Vale Vince Carter a brilliant career um one thing that I always remember about Vince Carter is when he hit that game winner with Dallas against the Spurs um, in the first round of the 20-something playoffs. Mm. Um, and it was a game winner, corner three in the corner. And um, <laughs> I remember watching it and someone did an overlay of when he missed that game-winning shot against Allen Iverson Sixers in like the early 2000s. Um, and they, it was pretty much, it was a shot from the exact same spot and it was pretty much not the same weight. Obviously, you're in the first round, you're in the Eastern Conference Finals, and the other one. But they, yeah, they did an overlay, and they sort of cut between it every second. And then that was obviously known as quite a disappointing shot, and that was sort of the the shot that could never get over the over the to the next level while in mm. Toronto. So it was, uh, yeah, that's really cool, and I love that he sort of made up for it by obviously he didn't make up for it because he could have gone on to do great things <laughs> they ended up losing that series to the Spurs anyway but it was uh, it's a nice, it's a I nice, really love that video yeah a nice bit of symmetry have you seen it? yeah I have yeah. I have alright <laughs> let's move on to the next piece of news which is Tim Connolly the Denver Nuggets president said that Jokic is quote beach ready and quote has abs um, according to Altitude Sports Radio and as you know I listened to a few Denver guys <laughs> and they are extremely excited to see what this actually means, whether it's any news at all, or if it's just, you know, someone being funny. Uh, just imagining Jokic just with rock hard abs is something I don't think anyone has ever imagined, but I want to see in what form it is. And Jamal Murray tweeted saying that he's got a four pack, whatever that means. <laughs> four pack's pretty good from where he um, where he's been at for most of his career. Um, obviously the doughboy of the NBA um, but yeah I think I think I don't know, I don't know if I want to see him with, with abs a- any abs maybe your four backs too many well he's sort of he's the sort of player that uses his body to his advantage and it's, oh, yeah. it's not like it's been a detriment that he's been you know overweight not overweight but you know, yeah. he's, a, he's a big boy so I I don't think that he has abs. I think we've already spoken way too much about this. But what I really like from this report is that it means that Jokic is, you know, at least working out and he's got the mindset that he's going hard. Yeah, he's not going to have to play him back into shape. Um, Just I'll bring something up from a year ago, uh, 13 months ago now, when Jokic played 65 minutes um, in a playoff game against Portland. And he's a bottom dollar. His arms were super red after that. (laughs) He's not... um, not one of these guys 
whose weight seems prohibitive. Like, he, you look at him and he's not, you know, on the fast break, he's not leading it, like, sprinting ahead of everyone. But he's not, like, labouring to get up the court. And he has played these really gaudy minute totals mm. without, you know, seeming to get super fatigued. That was, you know, he played the most minutes in a game that um, included, like, Dame Lillard and, mm. you know, all of these superstars and then someone like younger like a Gary Harris or a um, Jamal Murray and you know these guys who play big minutes and who are a lot younger um, and you know physically more agile yeah more <laughs> agile and you know he's out there holding it down the big fella so yeah it's good to know that he's not going to come back in and have to spend the first eight games <laughs> playing himself back into shape yeah, um, yeah. We're, now we're just waiting on someone from Dallas to report that Luke has got abs as well <laughs> Soon everyone will have abs. Um, I don't know where my corona abs went, but that's right. Uh, last piece of news before we go on to what we're looking forward to in the bubble. Uh, 76ers assistant, Ime Udoka. Thanks, man. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that in. Uh, he's, quote, the front runner to replace Jim Boylan as the Bulls head coach. So Ime previously coached with the... He was an assistant under Greg Popovich with the Spurs since 2012 um, and joined the 76ers this past season. And this... I think that this is according to Joe Cowley of the Chicago Sun-Times. I love this news because instead of going after the Tibbs of the world, obviously the Bulls probably couldn't, but instead of going after the big name sort of free agent, they're going for the route that I think every team should go for. And instead of trying to sign you know, one of the best coaches when most of the best coaches are already under contract, try and find the next one. Yeah, and if he fails, then no one's going to blame you. Like I think he could sign every single one of Greg Popovich's assistants, and no one's going to blame you if it goes wrong. Because well, fuck, how could you be wrong? This guy um, used to play for the Spurs. He spent the last four years of his career with the Spurs, and was an assistant uh, with the Spurs like almost immediately after he retired. So, an indication that um, Greg Popovich thinks very highly of him, and spent seven years in that. Spurs assistant um, menagerie. I think Tim Duncan deciding to come back to the bench and become an assistant coach may have had something to do with him departing because obviously you've got Becky Hammond over there who's um, a hot tip to be the first female NBA head coach. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with Tim Duncan, that's a kind of stacked assistant bench. So he moved on to Philly. Um, Udoka did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if they're convinced that he's the, like the right guy, then there's no reason why they should go big game hunting mm. uh, and and you know like look to bring in a, super, like a coaching superstar. Um, the one thing that I would just suggest they should caution with is looking at um, other Spurs assistant coaches who have not had heaps of success. Away from um, San Antonio, the last, the latest one is James Borrego, who's mm. the Charlotte coach for the last two years, and he's had a really rough one. Obviously, not his fault, but he was very highly touted and came with the um, the full stamp of approval from Pop and the Spurs organization, and it hasn't worked out in Charlotte so far. But don't let past indications um, sway you from someone who you think might be your guy. All right, Dante, what are we going to be talking about next? So we're going to run through a few of the things that we're looking forward to. Most when the NBA hits the bubble in Disney World. Um, A bit of a taster is stuff like who's going to come away with a specific award, who's going to come away with the MVP. Will we see um, a fully healthy and unleashed Zion in a way that we didn't see before? Um, Do you want to kick us off with something that you're really keen for? Yeah, I'm keen for the awards show, and 
because the regular season isn't technically over, no one's actually put in their ballots for who their awards are and who the All-NBA teams are. But this is still a debate. Like, just before the NBA stopped, like, LeBron was making up serious ground on Giannis. And, like, there was a lot of guys who I think had uh, investments other than picking the right guy. But there was clearly the LeBron camp trying to push that LeBron... He's 36 years old. This might be the last time he ever wins MVP. Look at what he's doing. And he definitely deserves it. But because he didn't get that late push, like the Darius Garland push at the end of the <laughs> season, does is this just, all right, let's just give it to Giannis. It's easy. Um, they're, they're on track to win 70 games. Is it the easy choice or do you be a bit edgy and pick LeBron? That's still a serious argument. And no one's talked about it because obviously there's other things to talk about it and there's no change. Um yeah, I'm just really interested to see, uh, does anyone put any weight into these eight games? Because I wouldn't, um, but what if Giannis comes out and averages 35 points for the eight games? It's like, great, that's an awesome stretch. Um, does LeBron stand a chance at all if Giannis does that? No, I don't think he does, because the whole narrative for the last few months before the, maybe say like the last six weeks before... Um, the league was suspended was that Giannis was clearly LeBron season was great like an all time season and you know definitely second in, in second position like there was no debate but Giannis was just that much better the best hand in the league um, MVP last year and improved on it this year Giannis is in pole position all he's got to do is hold serve mm-hmm. um, you know if um, if Giannis comes out and struggles or the Bucks kind of sputter and maybe go 4-4 four and four, and the Lakers go seven and one mm. or six and two and LeBron continues that stretch where he's putting up twenty six, eleven and eight mm. and it looks good, then I think you'd I think it'll be a lot I still would put money on um money on Giannis, but I think that, that it would it would be a lot closer and you'd have a lot more people who'd feel comfortable to vote for LeBron. Because obviously people want to vote for Giannis because He's like the new kid on the block. He's so likable and his game's really not like anything that we've seen. Like his best statistical comparison is Shaq, Mm -hmm. but he's so much different in build, but he does the same sort of thing. So it's just really, you know, I don't need to tell you why why Giannis is great, but um, people want to vote for LeBron for a different reason that you touched on before, because this might be the last chance that we get to actually reward LeBron with an MVP. And he's Mm -hmm. definitely put up MVP caliber seasons before and been overlooked because everyone was like oh well and he'll just get another he'll just get next year like he's the best player in the league but he hasn't won an MVP since 2014 Mm. everyone's been like yeah he'll get it next year but then someone else comes along like there's always another Steph or you know like Mm. a Harden that comes in so maybe people just are itching that all LeBron needs to do is show them just enough and they'll be like yep I'm gonna jump on Mm. as a legacy pick yeah if I I mean that you know full disclosure if I was um if I was one of these people who had a vote my head would say Giannis, but if the Bucks struggled even a little bit and the Lakers didn't, I would. It'd be pretty easy to sway me because I mm. want LeBron to get that. Mm. Yeah, MVP because Giannis had one last year. He's probably going to win the next three. After well, this. yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's no no real skin off his back. Yeah, there is there is that argument, and it's going to be interesting to see how LeBron's camp pays for votes in the coming weeks. <laughs> yeah. But it w- it will be interesting. I mean, looking at another award that we've got coming out, which is the Coach of the Year. 
How do you pick that? Do you include this eight-game stretch when you're looking at Coach of the Year? Because well, I don't think for any of the awards you include this eight-game stretch. Interesting. Yeah, I yeah can you just cut it? Out, yeah. yeah, I think that's fair. But because I mean, it's such a weird sample that all these guys have had four months off. Well, Giannis, Giannis spent the majority of his lockdown in a um, without access to a basketball ring. Mm. Wait, I saw some videos before of him with his baby, and I still cannot believe that Giannis Antetokounmpo called his kid Liam. Yeah, I know. How <laughs> fucking like is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... Classic And Liam. also, yeah, obviously, every award needs to be picked. Uh, Rookie of the Year might be a bit fade to complete, which is something that we can... I know you've, you want to talk about later on, but um, most improved player, is it Luca or Bam? Like, all these debates that just stopped immediately, and we were really getting into the thick of them because yeah. it was about time to vote. Uh, I'm interested to see, like I said, I don't care about these last eight games with the awards, but how much will people weigh them against the whole season? And, yeah, it's it'll be interesting. It's some, Again, new territory. We, we don't know what happens when we come back after four months and whether this means anything to the awards. Yeah, it's it's true. It'll um it's uncharted uncharted waters, but all I know is that I really hope LeBron gets it. I really Yeah. yeah. At some point along my NBA journey I just became a huge LeBron stand. <laughs> which is weird because when he was in Miami I'd, I was like, Oh, the heat <laughs> I was never like, Go LeBron I was like, Oh again. Um, one thing that I'm really keen for is the potential for an eighth, ninth seed playoff in the West involving the Grizzlies and the Pelicans. Because, mm. um, like we mentioned on our Thursday pod the other day, Justice Winslow's back for the Grizzlies. Jaron Jackson had a little niggle that has, you know, obviously he's had a lot of time to heal up. Mm. So the Grizzlies have a fully loaded roster. We just saw what the Pelicans with Zion look like for like the last 12 games of the season. Mm. Um, those two going head to head, you know, seeing like the star power of Jar and Zion, and then uh, seeing how the other high-profile names fit in around that, and you know, seeing like the almost like the proto nucleus of these two teams that look like future contenders mm. going head to head. I think that would be really, really cool. You, mm. you mentioned it; it's pretty much a fait accompli that Jar is going to get the Rookie of the Year, mm. um, and I don't think anything that. Zion does in these eight games would sway many people just because everyone's consensus when you know in March was Jar's been doing it all season he was a fringe all-star Zion's been an all-star level talent but for not a long time like mm-hmm. you know it's only been um, it's only been a little while so even if he continued his play for the rest of the season which at the time was like 20 games um, that they, he wouldn't be able to kind of make mm-hmm. up make up this so I think Jar's safe but just seeing that in the high stakes environment like that um, would be kind of cool, kind of similar to seeing the Denver Minnesota mm. um, last night of the season playoff um, battle. Be a lot like that, wouldn't it? Where you've got these two these two young teams that look like they're gonna, you know, you look like they're gonna compete for years to come. In mm. one case, that happened. In other <laughs> case, it didn't happen. But that was one of the best. Um, yeah. One of the best games of, this, of like the last couple of years, where you know it's the last night of the season, win and you win, lose and you go home. Mm. Um, those stakes, the. Um, the um, college basketball diehards could tell you that one game, like single game elimination tournaments, where if you lose, you're out, can lead to a whole other realm of intensity um, and also some crazy and weird things happening. So that would be one thing that I'm really, really keen to see. Well, something I want to see is if this, like last time we spoke, I did say that I reckon Portland will make it, which isn't the exciting pick, but I think it's a smart pick. Um, let's say 
John Morant does win Rookie of the Year, which is probably going to happen, if they do have a play-in and Zion wins two games, it's going to be like, oh, look, you know, Jar won Rookie of the Year, but he couldn't actually beat Zion when it came down to, like, a legit one-on-one and he had the advantage, you know. Like, that would be... It would be really, really disappointing for John Morant to beat him in the award and then not beat him in the actual games when it matters. Like, that's... Would, yeah, that, that would be... That's juicy. Yeah, that'd and be... the second one of them look at each other weird in that game, cameras are going to go off everywhere and it's yeah. going to be the front page of everything. Yeah, well, you know it would be Jar looking at Zion weird, like, dunking on Tom <laughs> and then, like, looking at him, like, Zion's on the bench and Jar's, like, just jawing at him. Uh, yeah, you definitely... I mean, yeah, if Jar grabs, grabs the award, you definitely wouldn't want to rock up in here and feel, like, vindicated and... Um, confirmed in your status as the best rookie and then lose. That would be a, a pretty bitter, bitter pill to swallow. Mm. Yeah, I really hope we see that. If if not, like, if not for a play just at least once. Because remember that was going to be Zion's first game against John Morant? Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no, I'll play against the Spurs next week. He's like, well, fuck, man. I haven't watched DeMar DeRozan in months and like, <laughs> now you're forcing me to do it. <laughs> Bastard. Um, yeah, something that we've both written down here uh, that we're looking forward to in the bottle. But the bottle... <laughs> Is will like you said? Will veterans' bodies hold up? And I'm saying I pray that nobody gets injured in these eight games because if any injury happens, like if it's like a, a role player and a championship contender, it's like wow, like this sucks. <laughs> and if is it just Marcus Smart gets injured, or is it we see a major injury, like a couple of major injuries? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking more about the older players because I feel like the you know resilience of a younger early mid twenties body you can kind of like you know if you're keeping yourself in that baseline shape you can kind of spring back into action pretty easily but I'm imagining for some of the older dudes to go four months without playing to then get yourself back into game shape would be a monumental task and there's a risk that they can't kind of get themselves back into game shape before they're eight you know, before those eight games start. So you, like you say, you just hope that there's no injuries that seriously contribute to um, the direction that the playoffs are going to go in or one team's ability to compete. But I mean, like it's a, it's a distinct possibility that the teams are, um, the teams are arriving there two weeks before. So they'll obviously be training most mm-hmm. days and, and doing that. And I think from the start of July, teams will be able to um, train in their own facilities. So they'll have a month to work up, but considering that, um, you get more than a month of training and scrimmages and stuff for the before the start of a regular season. Yeah. And then there's some players who still kind of take a bit of time to play themselves into shape anyway, not just, you know, like the Euro guys like Doncic and um, Jokic that we talked about, but like the guys who you're like, you know, maybe you're a bit pudgy and you're not in your peak physical form. Even some dudes like Draymond Green will rock up and have to spend, you know, 20 games playing themselves into shape. And that, you know, doesn't only have consequences potentially like that instead of averaging 12 8 and 8 he's averaging 9 you know 4 and 4 if he if he gets hurt because he couldn't you know couldn't be healthy yeah yeah and um it's it's the one thing that kind of hangs over it that would really really sour it like if you get through those if you're going through those first eight games and the product's not great and then someone because obviously everyone's you know trying to get back to shape but then somebody important gets hurt gets hurt that would just, everyone would just be like this sucks this is the worst yeah it's uh there's, there's no other choice so there's no alternative this is what we've got this is what we have to work with it's, yeah you know fuck you coronavirus because <laughs> otherwise we would be in the thick of the playoffs right now so that's a bummer but 
I hope nothing bad happens. Yeah, and I don't think I don't think it will um, because you know like they're going to have their full complement of training staff and medical um, you know, medical staff there to monitor. If it did happen, it hopefully it's just a, a result of basketball being a contact sport where injuries happen all the time and not something that you know seemed entirely preventable because the last time there was a really an injury that was really important that was viewed as preventable was in the postseason last year when KD was returning from a lower calf strain mm-hmm. that looked pretty low on the calf bordering dare you say into the Achilles territory and he he comes back in game was it game two against the I think um, it was game three game three against the Raptors in the finals and you know he he looks good for the first eight minutes and then he ruptures his Achilles so that left a bad taste in everyone's mouth and the discussion around that was like how could we let this player down how could they let this player down in terms of looking after him and his physical health so Mm. you hope that there's no similar bad taste at the start of this yeah, because it would be really, really cool if this goes off without a hitch and everyone just gets to enjoy basketball again, and then LeBron wins the MVP. <laughs> that would be really cool. It would be really cool if LeBron wins the MVP. Um, that is all we have. But just before we finish up, is that right? Yeah. Just before we finish up, I was just going to go fact check that it was Game Three that KD did uh, re-injure himself, but it was I'm on basketball reference and it says like daily scores I'm like oh daily scores obviously March 11 right mm. in that last game between Denver and Dallas uh, Boban Marjanovic had 31 points and 17 rebounds with two steals could Boban be the playoff <laughs> X Factor the Mavs have been waiting for I feel like that's getting looked over like the poor guy just had a <laughs> the game of his night. life and then the fucking and season then gets cancelled. Coronavirus rocks up. Jeez. Man. Is Boban Marjanovic the next Tyson Chandler on the maps? The Opinion piece. <laughs> <laughs> that is... Oh, that really sucks. And Michael Kugurkrist is a maverick. Yeah, they picked him up yeah. after Charlotte waved him. He yeah. got a DNP. He, yeah, he's not going to play. <laughs> oh, that's, that's They're like, we need guys who can shoot. And then he's like, put me in, coach. <laughs> and then he, Rick Carlisle sees him shooting. He's like, all right, I'm taking you out. <laughs> All right, well, uh, that's all from us. So thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for more episodes. Cheers.